God has set into motion a plan, a specific series of events that we're all a part of. That plan brings hope to the hopeless, healing to people that are hurting, forgiveness of sins, and purpose for each of us that are living down here on planet Earth. And I believe that each and every one of us that are here have a role to play in God's plan. But my question for us this morning is this, who is it that you are leading closer to Jesus right now and closer to this plan that God has for all mankind? For many of us, the answer to that question might not be what we would like for it to be. See, Christians aren't perfect, but as a follower of Jesus, I know that I want to live like he did and show the world the difference that grace, forgiveness, hope, and love can make. Paul, who was a radical follower of Jesus, said that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is now living in you and living in me. Therefore, shouldn't there be some type of big, bold difference that we see in the lives of Christian people? I think that there should be. Yet one of the key things missing in the lives of most Christian people is an experience of boldness at all. Boldness, the definition, is an attitude of strong confidence in God such that godly things are said and done openly without fear of the consequences. In the movie, We Bought a Zoo, anybody ever seen that movie before? The main character, main character is Benjamin Mee. His, uh, he's played by Matt Damon in the movie. And he says this line in the movie, and it, it rocked my world the first time that I heard it. Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. 20 seconds of insane courage. I got to thinking about this thing and I was like, all right, what would 20 seconds of insane courage look like? So I went to this very reliable source called the internet and typed that in to see what I could find. And I came up to YouTube to a video of a police officer who was talking to a man that was attempting to commit suicide. The officer talks with the guy for just a few minutes and he's not changing his mind. The guy climbs over the rail of the bridge, begins to jump to his death. And the officer, so moved with compassion, realizes I can't just stand here and watch. So he runs over, leans over the rail, grabs the man's arm, putting his own life at risk and hold on, holds on to him until another officer can come over and help him hoist that man back over the rail and they saved his life. 20 seconds of insane courage on that officer's part saved that man's life. That's so awesome. They couldn't just stand there and watch as this man tried to hurt himself. They couldn't just sit there. They had to act. Spiritually speaking, you and I are coming into contact with people day in and day out. Some of them are friends and family or just acquaintances that we have at work that are committing spiritual suicide. They don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And here's the truth, guys, and I, I, don't, I don't necessarily care for this truth too much, but it is the truth nonetheless. Eternity is going to be a nightmare without Jesus. As a Christian, I don't want that fate for anyone, not anybody that I come across so I'm standing in the gap, as are you. We're the last hope for these people, to tell them, to show them the good news of Jesus. And when you look at the world that way, it changes your perspective. 
It changes your mind about each and everything that you do. But when boldness is absent from the lives of Christians, there's something missing. And maybe there's some of you that are sitting here this morning and you have felt that sense of lostness in your life. I mean, you come to church every week to get closer to God, but there's still just something that is missing. And I believe that something that's missing may be the boldness that God would desire for each and every one of us to have. And when we live like that, man, we experience God like we never have before. The number one response about why boldness is absent in the lives of so many Christian people is fear. We're afraid of what people will think. We're afraid that we might offend somebody else. Heck, it's, it's not too far-fetched to think that you might get hurt if you went out and shared your faith these days. All of these are legitimate fears. Following Jesus may mean that people look at you funny. It may mean that your beliefs upset somebody else. It could cause you to get hurt. I can't stand up here this morning and lie to you and tell you that these are not legitimate fears that you shouldn't have. But here's what I am going to tell you. We cannot let fear become the focus of our lives. Because when it does, it will direct your thoughts. It will direct your steps. It will direct every action of your life. And all too often, it's fear that keeps us from doing the things that God has called us to do. And that, in turn, keeps us from really being able to experience God. Because there's something special that happens, folks. When you share the good news about Jesus Christ with somebody and see it change their life. To share the gospel message with somebody so that they understand that there is a God that loved them so much that he died for them to take the place for their sins to pay the penalty and the price that they should have had to pay, that God loved them that much. When we focus on our fears and what other people think, when we get comfortable with our own existence here on this planet, our vision for God and for his will for our lives gets very blurry. And as a result, we're only able to hit our spiritual mark every once in a while. Now, I think that I can illustrate this for you. So I've got a volunteer that's going to come up here and help me out. All right, you guys know this guy? All right, so um, this is kind of like camp, okay? You've, you've done camp before. What I want you to do, I want you to put your head on the top of the putter. I'll give you the soft end, okay? And I want you to spin around 10 times. Now, let me, let me finish explain, explaining before you start. Once you spin around, I'm going to give you this football right here, and I want you to throw it to the gentleman standing right over there, all right? Gotcha. All right, so 10 times. You all are going to help me count. We ready? All right, ready, set, go. One, got to go quick. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, here you go. Oh, nice throw. I'll shake your hand and help you back to your seat. Here you go. All right. Give him a round of applause. That was pretty awesome. I'm not sure that I could do that. And uh, you just hold on to it if you don't mind. <laughs> Man, that, that was pretty sweet. That was pretty sweet. Now, for the rest of the message, you're going to feel sick, but that's okay. Uh, that, that helps us out. What I just illustrated for you is what happens to us as we live down here on this planet. Man, we get so busy chasing after all the things that the world has to offer that we're running in this rat race constantly, chasing, 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 wanting, 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 getting, and then not being satisfied, getting, then not being satisfied. And we do this over and over and over again. And finally, God calls us to stop. And we hear that message. And then he asks us to hit a specific target. And if you're like my man, right? 
It's like, yeah, I can do that every once in a while, but I couldn't promise you that nine times out of 10, I'm going to be able to hit my mark, right? We feel like we've got it together with God one minute, and then all of a sudden it changes. And we go through these cycles our entire life. We're like, I don't know why God seems so distant or he seems so far away. Why I can't hit this mark. Why I can't do this thing that God wants me to do. And here's the truth of the matter, folks. It's all about what we're focusing on. If we're focusing on everything that this world has to offer, we're always going to be all turned around. And yes, we'll hit the spiritual marks that we want to be hitting in our lives, but we won't hit them with any consistency. It's kind of like that New Year's resolution that you make every year. Anybody ever done that before? All right. Anybody stop doing that because you failed the first 20 times? All right, good. Uh, you're kind of like Robert. Throw this, uh, his picture up here on the screen. Robert took before and after pictures of, uh, of his weight loss plan. And it says down here at the bottom, in only two weeks, Robert lost his glasses. <laughs> that was it, right? Man, that, that's kind of how we feel. That's funny when it comes to this picture. But in our lives, many times, there's really no drastic difference between our life without the Holy Spirit and without Jesus and our new life that is supposed to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. There really is no drastic difference that makes any drastic change because fear keeps us running after all of these things instead of being focused singularly on God and what he would have us to do. Fear is a focus problem. I think that I can show you and illustrate this. Take a look up here on the screen. Those three things that people said about why they are so afraid to share their faith. Let's read through those again. What will people think of me? What is the focus of that on people? On me. What if I offend someone? What are you focused on? On people? On me. What if I get hurt? What is your focus? It's on me. Does God want us to be completely absent of who we are and what we need to be doing? No. Does God want us to walk blindly through this world, ignoring everybody else? No. But we weren't supposed to be the most important thing in our lives. And everybody else wasn't supposed to be the most important thing in your life. God longs to be the most important thing in your life. In fact, when Jesus was talking with the people that would follow after him in Luke 6, 33, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to you. Everything else will get taken care of. Let's take a look this morning into God's word for some direction here, because this has obviously been a problem for Christians. It's actually written about in the Bible in the first century. So the, the Christians that were, were trying to follow after Jesus just a few years after he left are struggling with the same thing that you and I are struggling with 2,000 years later, right? So we're in good company, but we get some advice from Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews is a New Testament letter. That means it's written after Jesus and if you're trying to find the book in your Bible, start at Revelation and then go backwards, eight chapters, okay? There you'll find it. We don't know who wrote this book. There are a lot of really good guesses, but what we do know about it is this. There is a sure purpose to why this letter was written. You see, the Christians that this letter was written to were Jews who had changed their minds about what they were going to live their lives doing. They wanted to be good Jews their whole life, but now there was this guy named Jesus who had changed their minds, and they were going to be followers of him but because of persecution and hardship and difficulties, they were tempted to give up on Jesus because things weren't going easy. They were afraid. But the writer wants them to know that Jesus is too important to give up on. 
So I want you to listen to his encouragement from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Here's what it says. We are surrounded by a great cloud of people whose lives tell us what faith means. So let us run the race that is before us and never give up. We should run. We should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way in the sin that so easily holds us back. Let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes it perfect. He suffered death on the cross, but he accepted the shame as if it were nothing because of the joy that God put before him. And now he is sitting at the right side of God's throne. If we want to experience God, church, if we want to be a part of his plan, if we want to make a difference in the world, our focus has to be on God. So how do we do that? What advice does this writer give to us? The first thing that he says that I want you to focus on is actually in verse, uh, verse 1. He says, remove from our lives anything that would get in the way. That means we've got to let go. Say, let go. All right, I didn't hear you. All right, let go. There you go. Somebody out there. Removing anything that would get in our way. This might mean people, possessions, approval, awards, accolades. The people that were written about This great cloud of witnesses actually refers to people that were talked about just a chapter before in Hebrews chapter 11. They are the great cloud of people whose lives tell us what faith means. They were men and women who traded the easy road for the godly road throughout human history. And if you want to read about their stories, you can start in the Old Testament and read about all of these faithful people who followed God from the very beginning. These people found a way to focus on God when times were incredibly difficult, when it would have been easy for them to give up, and yet they stayed faithful. And the reaction to their boldness and living for God, it changed the world. That chain reaction made a difference. So I want to show you a little bit about what the writer of Hebrews says about these people, says about this great cloud of people whose example we should follow here. Listen in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 33, first, it says, Through their faith, they defeated kingdoms. They did what was right, received God's promises. They shut the mouths of lions. Skip down to verse 36. Now, all of it's really good. I'm just trying to give you a Cliff Notes version, all right? Some were laughed at and beaten. Others were put into chains and thrown into prison. Some were stoned to death. They were cut in half. They were killed with swords. Some wore the skins of sheep and goats. They were poor, abused, and treated badly. Listen to verse 38. Actually, read it with me. The world was not good enough for them. The world was not good enough for them. Is it good enough for you? Are you satisfied? Because you shouldn't be. God has promised that there is something far greater than this existence, as good as it is, that is yet to come. And the people that live boldly for God trusted in that in the past. And if we are going to live boldly for God, we can't hold on to everything that this world has to offer. We have to let go so that we can hold on to the hope of something better that is yet to come. You see, God created everything that's good about this place when he put it all together. Everything that you love and that you like about this was part of God's design. And all the things that are terrible about this place are a result of the corruption of sin. And at the root of sin is this. It's just selfishness. It's choosing to love you more than loving God and more than loving other people. And when humanity has done that throughout human history, things have gone terribly wrong. 
But Jesus, when he came, he said there will be a day and time where all the hurt, all the pain, all the crying, all the trouble will disappear because we will be focused on God, not on ourselves, and we'll spend eternity with him. And we look forward to that. The people who lived faithfully for God in the past hoped in that. They waited on that. They didn't settle on what they had here and now. They focused not on enjoying a life of ease, but on doing what was necessary so that they could be the ones to stand in the gap. They saw that the world needed them to be the person to have compassion and not be complacent. They saw everybody else running towards destruction and they wanted them to see an opportunity to live a different way. And that's what God is calling you and I to do in the world now, to be that person, to follow that example. God wants us to do great things for him, but you have to decide that you're going to trade the good enough for God's best. What does that look like? Some of you in this room today need to let go of some preconceptions. You've already made up your mind about God. Maybe it's because of what a professor taught you in college or it's something that you grew up with your entire life with your family. And maybe what you need to let go of is, you know what, I'm going to let go of all of that and I'm just going to give God a try. I'm going to read his word and see what it says about him and I'm going to put him to the test. And here's the thing, I want to encourage you to do that. If you have had a hard time believing in God up to this point in time in your life, if he is who he claims to be, he can handle your questions. He can deal with that. In fact, he wants you to go out and ask these questions, no matter how difficult and how hard they are. Maybe for some of you, it's letting go of your possessions. Let me ask a really pointed question, okay? Any of you still have that thing you got for Christmas 10 years ago? Raise your hand. You're having a hard time? Okay, we won't go back 10 years. That was a long time ago. How many of you have that thing you got for Christmas five years ago? Still? All right. You still love it, all right? How many of you have something from five years ago that you don't even remember what it was, <laughs> right? There's a lot more of that stuff. We spent our lives year after year wanting, asking for all of these things, and then you know what happens? It shrinks, it fades, maybe it didn't shrink, maybe we got a little bigger, right? And something happens, and it's just not as good as it once was, and we could spend our entire life chasing after that, but no. Maybe it's time to let go of all of that stuff. Maybe it's time to let go of a lifestyle. Man, I had a heartbreaking experience this past week. A kid that was in my youth ministry when I was in Washington doing youth ministry came to me and told me that he's going to be going to prison probably next week. He didn't let go of his lifestyle. And now he's got to go to prison for probably two years. But he said, you know what? I think this is what it took for me to figure out that I had to let go of all of that stuff. But now it's a little bit too late, and I have to pay this price. Man, learn from that mistake. Some of you need to let go of that. Maybe it's a relationship. It could be tons of different things that you need to let go of. Man, something that I'm proud of is to know Chris Woolard. Anybody else proud to know Chris Woolard in this room? Because that man set an example of letting go of his plans for his own future. Because God started speaking to him, and Chris had everything all laid out about what he was going to do. Man, he could have enjoyed a nice ministry in Greenville, North Carolina, been complacent, been satisfied. But God began to plant a seed, an idea in his head that he should come and plant a church down in Wilmington, North Carolina. And here you are, this many years later, a reaction to that catalyst that started with a thought that God planted in his mind. 
Maybe for you, what you need to let go of is your own plans for your future and decide to let God be in charge and be the authority of your life and lead you where he wants you to go. Who knows, there may be another movie theater five years from now that's full of people because you make that decision to let go today. That would be pretty awesome. If you want to make a difference in the world, the first thing that we've got to do, the first thing that we're encouraged to do is to let go. The second thing that we've got to do is we've got to hold on to Jesus. We can't hold on to Jesus if we're holding on to something else. We have to surrender our lives first and say, God, I'll let go of the rest of it, and I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you'll help me with all of it. And if we live following that example, then we live like Jesus. We're bold like Jesus, and Jesus is the ultimate example of boldness. But he's bold in a unique way. Many of us think that being bold is a really good idea, but then it's a plan that starts and lasts for about two weeks, like every resolution we've ever made, and then it fizzles out. Anybody had that experience before besides me? All right, I'm the only one. Okay, well, I'm preaching to myself here. That's always the first person you preach to anyway. It happens like that, but Jesus teaches us boldness in a brand new way because we're talking about chain reactions here, and this is really important to grab onto. Jesus was the boldest about his relationship with God, his Father, and that in turn fueled actions of boldness in the various encounters, situations, and circumstances that he found himself in. And that's the chain reaction that we need to be happening in our lives we must let go of all the junk that we've held onto for so long and place the topmost priority on our relationship with God. And Jesus did this regularly. I'm going to show you this. He took time away to get centered and focused and fueled and prepared for what God had in store for him to do. Listen to Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. It's going to be up here on the screen. It was very early in the morning and still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, went to a place where he could be alone and there... He prayed. Simon and his friends went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they called out, everybody's looking for you. Now, everybody comes looking for me. I'm going to drop what I'm doing and go to them, right? Not Jesus. The most important part of his day was connecting with his father. Luke 5, 15. But the news about Jesus spread even more so that crowds of people came to hear him. They also came to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often went away to be by himself and to pray, to get connected with God. Jesus's actions, like the way that he treated the lowly and the downcast. You remember the woman that was thrown in front of him? She had been caught in adultery and the whole crowd's there and they're wanting to throw stones at her. And Jesus decides, no, we're not going to kill her. We're going to forgive her and we're going to set her free. Man, that's, <laughs> that's pretty bold, right? It'd be very easy just to jump in with the crowd. So why did he decide to do that? Because he had spent time connecting with his father. And he knew his father's will for that woman in that moment. He knew what to do because he connected with God. It was a chain reaction because of his relationship with his father. Spending time with sinners and tax collectors, right? That doesn't seem something like a religious person should do. And there were a lot of people during Jesus' time that said, no way. Why is this great teacher going and hanging out with people like this? Because when he connected with his father... His father said, it's the hurting people who need a doctor, not the healthy people. So connect with them. And it didn't make sense to everybody else living in the world. There's going to be a lot of people that we will come into contact with. And your friends and family will say, why in the world are you wasting your time with them? Because I'm connecting with my father. And I'm living like Jesus, boldly. His interactions with social outcasts. Like, why does he spend time with lepers? Doesn't he know he might get sick? Right? Why do we help people with the flu? Why was it that Christian people in the first century were the ones that were taking all the people who had leprosy 
and issues like that and were the ones that were doing something about it is because they were so moved with compassion and they were so convinced that God had called them to do it that even though it didn't make sense by worldly standards and science, they decided that God had called them to do it no matter what. And they were there to love just like we hope to be. These were all things that were a result of Jesus' relationship with his father. We celebrate the miracles. We celebrate these teachings that Jesus has. But behind all of that, the catalyst behind all of that is that Jesus connected with his father on a regular basis. And if we leave here today and try to be bold in our actions without being bold in our relationship with God, we will fail at the things that God is asking us to do. Or we will succeed at the things in this life that do not matter and we will feel great about ourselves. And I'm not sure which one is worse. Folks, God has a plan for us. How do we become bold? We have to let go of all the things that this world has to offer to us. We can't settle for that stuff and we have to hold on to Jesus. We have to follow his example, being bold about our relationship with God. But why? I always like to ask that question. Why should I do this, preacher? Right? Why take the time to do all of this other stuff? Why make my life difficult? Why not just cruise right on into heaven and enjoy it and praise and all of that? Why? Because our boldness is the key to showing God to others. That's the first reason why. I think that I can illustrate this for you. Let me try anyway. When we become Christians, for many of us, uh, we read and learn about the forgiveness that God wants to offer to us. And so what we do is we hear about forgiveness of sins and we say, okay, God, I'm going to take all of my junk and I'm going to give it to you. Well, maybe not all of it, but I'm going to give most of it to you, Jesus. But then the second part of the gospel message is that Jesus wants to pour into, into us. He wants to make a difference inside of us. But we're not cool with that because then Jesus is in charge and he can tell us where to go and what to do and what to say yes to and what to say no to. And I'm just not so sure. I want Jesus as my savior, but I'm not so sure about Jesus as my Lord. See, because these two things are very, very different. If Jesus is my Lord, then I'm no longer in charge. But here's what we do as Christians. A lot of times we just try to cover everything up and we walk around like, it's all great. Like life is fun and Jesus is awesome. But when you go back out into the world and you have your friends and your family and all these other people that God's putting into your path, the real Christians have this distinguishing mark because when they start to pour into other people, it changes things. But when there's nothing different on the inside, there's no difference on the outside. You see, the thing that Jesus wants to do, yes, he wants to take your sin, but then he wants to pour into you, give you something brand new. And when you take that and you say, Jesus, you know what? I, I'm, going, I'm going to let you be in charge. I'm going to let you take over. I'm going to let you be in control. And then we go to the same family and friends and acquaintances that we bump into all the time. And we begin to pour out what's inside of us. Man, there's a reaction, and it's undeniable. Folks, and as you do that, you come to the second point. We get to experience God like we never have before. Because as I do this, what happens to what's inside of me? It's deplenished, right? It's, it's leaving. 
And God has to fill me up again so that I can go out and do it again, right? And as I pour myself out, I have to come back so that Jesus, so that God can fill me up again, so that I can go out and pour myself out again. And that is boldness. That's Jesus filling filling you up through your relationship with him so that you can go out into the world and make this profound difference. And that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. That's the chain reaction that has to happen. That's boldness in action. In boldness, we will experience God like we never have before. When I was 14 or 15 years old, uh, my family planned a trip to Bush Gardens. I hated roller coasters. I hated heights. It was a terrible trip. Don't know why they planned it. They didn't have me in mind when they did anyway. So again, I'm 14 or 15. There's a lot of good looking people that are walking around. I noticed them, hoping they'd notice me. I'm holding my grandma's pocketbook as she gets on the ride. That's not the kind of noticing you want to have happen, right? So here I am thinking, golly, every one of the people that steps on this ride has stepped off. And when they get off, they got these big smiles on their faces. I feel like I'm missing out on something, but man, I'm scared. Out of my mind, scared. What am I going to do? Scared. I say, Grandma, it's time for you to hold your purse. I'm going to try this ride. I get on the big bad wolf. Man, I laughed. I cried. There were ups and downs, twists and turns. I felt sick sometimes. But at the end of the ride, I got off. I had a big smile on my face. I had survived. I made it through. And in life, it's going to be just like that. Man, it's scary to follow Jesus. I mean, to do it and to do it right. When we get off the ride of this life into heaven with God, be a big smile on your face. You'll know that he was there every step of the way, through every twist, through every turn, through every up, through every down. You will have seen God's faithfulness every step of the way. And I want to live like that. I want you to live like that. Our lives as Christians are either pointing people to Jesus or away from him. And I want to be the proof of how great God is in the world. I don't want my quietness to create questions. I don't want my cowardice to create confusion. And I don't want my inaction to be my defining action. I want something more than that. I believe that you do too. And I know that the world that we live in has been craving that for a long time. I want his truth to be transformational. I want to help see grace be granted to the sinner. I want love to overcome hate, for forgiveness to defeat sin, to see compassion overthrow complacency, and to see heaven be the hope for those that are hopeless. God wants you to be a part of this plan too. But it starts with you making a decision about what to do with Jesus. And if you have a decision to make about that this morning, you've never made him the Lord and Savior of your life, man, there are people here that want to talk to you. Up here on the sides, you can come and talk to one of these people, man, they would love to sit down and talk with you. Maybe you realize you've been a Christian for a really long time, but you've never made this kind of commitment to God. Today is your day. Maybe what you need is just prayer and encouragement and support. We want to provide that for you also. Venture Christian Church is doing something special in this community. God wants you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. This team wants you to be a part of it. In this mission to change the world, because you make God the most important part of your life. Folks, would you pray with me? Jesus, we are thankful this morning for this opportunity to come. 
to study from your word and receive encouragement for our lives from it. God, I pray that we will be moved to be more bold for you and to do that in ways that are going to change the world and the communities that we live in, that are going to change the lives of the people that we come into contact with. And God, if there's one person here in this crowd this morning who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that maybe something in this message today has spoken to them, that they might react to that. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for your grace and for this opportunity. We pray this in your son's name.